today on Abounding Grace. Then he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? You ever feel that way? God, why would you show your kindness to me? Why would you extend your blessings to me? Why would you continue to have your hand of blessing on my life? Why would you continue to bless my kids even though they're rebellious? Why would you continue to bless my marriage even though I'm rebellious? And God says, listen, I love you out of grace. I love you not because of what you've done or what you do, but I love you. And that love, you know, we our love for the Father is why? Because he first loved us. This is amazing grace. From Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, this is Abounding Grace. We'll be joined by Pastor Ed Taylor in a moment, who today resumes our series in Romans. Maybe you grew up in a church or household that made it seem that God was just some taskmaster, and you were living in fear that the moment you made a mistake, you would pay dearly for it. Well, Pastor Ed is going to paint a far different picture of God today, one that is supported by the scriptures, and in particular, Romans chapter 8. You'll learn to think of God as an Abba Daddy that loves you and has your best interest at heart. If you would, flip over to 2 Samuel chapter 4, because we see a wonderful picture of this grace being adopted into the family, being taken in, in the life of, well, King Saul, his son Jonathan, Jonathan's son, and David. Great story, great narratives. Oh, how I'm thankful for God giving us these true stories of real men and real families and real issues so that we can read them and be encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Remember, King Saul was a tyrant of a king. He had such great potential, but oh, what a wasted potential it was. I mean, he was... He was the king of Israel. He had every opportunity to do great and mighty things in the name of God, but he was a man of fear. He was a man that lived out that verse, the fear of man brings a snare, King Saul. You can write right next to it. The fear of man brings a snare? Yes, we see it in the life of King Saul. And he ruined all of his potential. Yes, King Saul, he had this lack of communion with his father, his heavenly father. And so God raises up a new king, David, And God always does that, continuing his work, even through resistance. Saul, he hunted David like a wild animal. Because the time that little, young, ruddy boy David was was anointed king, it would be years before he took the throne. There was a long time period, and Saul gets wind of it, and he says, you know, I can't have another king. There's only room for one king. And he, he hunts David like a wild animal, throwing spears at him and treating him horribly. And eventually Saul, he dies. And as any family of a king that has left this earth, the family takes off because they know any last remnants of the family will be taken out by the new kingdom. That's just the way it was. And we read in verse 4 of chapter 4 of 2 Samuel that Saul's family does what every family would do when their control is over. They run away, they flee, and they hide. Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet, verse 4 says. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled, and it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. Great name, huh? 
you pregnant ladies. <laughs> Searching the web for that special name, got all the name books. Let me suggest Mephibosheth. <laughs> what would you call Mephibosheth, like for short, Mephibi? <laughs> no, I, I don't know. But Mephibosheth, he falls and he's lame. He suffers from this permanent injury, would be with him the rest of his life. And by the time we jump over to 2 Samuel chapter 9, and I ask you to do that, years have passed. Mephibosheth is now an adult, living out his days with this severe handicap that's really never healed. David, in the prime of his life, in the prime of his kingdom, and all the blessings of God, it's exactly what he would want and where he would want to be. Well, look at verse 1. He starts to think on the goodness of God. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, he just begins to ponder all the blessings of the Lord. He begins to think, let me get there with you. Now David said, is there still anyone who is left in the house of Saul that I might show him the kindness for Jonathan's sake? Remember Jonathan, we were best buddies, best friends. He says in verse two, there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him to David, the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul? to whom I may show the kindness of God. You can circle that word kindness there in verse 3 and verse 1. It literally means mercy or loving kindness. That word in the Hebrew is also used to describe the grace of God, graciousness and compassion. I mean, you've got to paint the picture here. David doesn't have to think about doing any good. He is on the throne. He is where God wants him. He doesn't need to sit back and think, oh, I wonder if I want to do something good for my friend Jonathan. And yet God has touched his heart. And instead of thinking about how to have a bigger kingdom, instead of thinking of how to grow everything, how to get more, he thinks, you know, is there anybody left? I mean, anybody. It's been on my mind. I, is there anybody left I can just love for the sake of my friendship with Jonathan? Is there anybody? Is there anybody I can just show grace to and mercy? And aren't you glad he doesn't ask questions like this? Like, aren't you glad that verse 1 doesn't open up? Is there still anyone who is deserving of my love? He doesn't ask that. He doesn't sit back in his throne and call people together and he says, is there anyone that is qualified for my love? I mean, anybody measure up lately? Anybody do anything good in the kingdom? Is there anybody that's been working really hard, that's been a real blessing to the kingdom? Somebody that's just been really, really deserving? Somebody that's really qualified? Somebody that's worthy of all my love and attention of the king? David says none of those. It's out of the abundance of his heart. He just says, I want to bless somebody. And I want to find somebody from my for my friend Jonathan's family. Is there anybody? And then notice he says, in verse 4, the king said to him, where is he? Because the answer was, hey, there's a son of Jonathan. He's lame in his feet. Where is he? Where is he? Verse 4, and Ziba said to the king, indeed, he's in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. And then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar, verse 6. And when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, here is your servant. Yeah, I think he'd prostrate himself, don't you? I mean, he's from the family of Jonathan. He's coming into the kingdom. He doesn't know what David wants. He's like, oh, no, can't you just leave me alone? I, I've already got, uh, I'm lame in my feet. Can, what, what, do I, what do you want from me? I mean, I've been over, over here in Lodabar, minding my own business, and, and I'm sure he is just absolutely blown away that he's in the king's presence. Like, what do you want from me? Here I am. I'm your servant. 
But see, David didn't want a servant relationship. Even as there was a time with Jesus, remember Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, I now call you what? Friends. That's a work of grace. Oh, there's a wonderful joy in being a servant of the Lord, but Jesus says, I want you to realize I'm your friend. I don't want that servant relationship. And in Mephibosheth's eyes, he's like, well, what do, I, what do we want? David answered, verse 7, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. And then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? You ever feel that way? I mean, God, what do you have? What, what, why would you show your kindness to me? Why would you extend your blessings to me? Well, why would you continue to have your hand of blessing on my life? Why would you continue to bless my kids even though they're rebellious? Why would you continue to bless my marriage even though I'm rebellious? And God says, listen, I love you out of grace. I love you not because of what you've done or what you do, but I love you. And that love, you know, we are love for the Father is why? Because he first loved us. And how do we know that we're children? But Paul said in verse 16, it's the Spirit of God that bears witness with our spirit that we are children of our Father, of our Abba. I'm just a dead dog, man. I don't deserve this, Lord. I don't deserve this, David. I mean, who am I? I don't even have things together. I mean, my devotional life has been what it hasn't been. My care and concern for other people, I haven't cared for a person in over a month or two or three. I don't, a dead, I'm just, a, why would you want to draw me? Why would you want me to know? Why, why would you care to even connect with me, Father? But I want you to notice, he says in verse 7, at the end there, you shall eat bread at my table continually. Verse 10, he says at the end, but Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Verse 11, as for Mephibosheth, said the king at the end there, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Verse 13, so Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem and he ate continually at the king's table and he was lame in both his feet. Four times we learn, Mephibosheth is welcome at the table. You're welcome at this table. You can dine at the table. I want you to dine at the table just like a son. And isn't it the same for us that you come and I come to the table with our heavenly father, Jesus at the head, coming to the table. Just the pure, gracious love of adoption. That's the spirit that God's poured out into our hearts. That gracious love of adoption. You're still having problems with picturing God as an Abba Daddy? Drop these down. Let me read them to you as we wind down today. I want to give you a few pictures. I want to show you some great attributes of our Father. Still struggling? Listen, Psalm 27. Just I'll just jot it down. I'll read it to you. Psalm 27, verse 10. When my mother and my father forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Even if my mom and dad on earth forsake me, my father in heaven will care for me. Psalm 68, verse 5. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is our God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families and he brings out those who are bound into prosperity. This is a family. You are in a family right now. One of the things you're going to learn as a Christian over time is that for some of you, the bonds and the connections in your spiritual family will seem stronger than in your physical family. Oh, it's not that you don't love your physical family. You do. You do anything for them. You lay your life down for them. But there is this sweetness of connection that to think about 
for many of us, we were absolute strangers a year ago, three years ago, five years ago. In my case, eight years ago, I knew no one in Colorado. And yet, because of God's spirit and that spirit of adoption, we've all been adopted into the same family so that you can love someone as a Christian, brother or sister, and not even know their name. You don't have to beat yourself up because you don't remember people's names. But you love. And maybe you pray for people, and there are times when I pray because I get to see your faces. I don't always remember names, but I pray for faces. And, oh, that face isn't there. And why is it? I haven't seen them in a while. I hope they're doing all right. I hope the Lord's ministering to them. I hope they haven't fallen away. Our Father's a Father of the fatherless. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Oh, how our Father loves us. You see, you can't experience this love of the Father when you see God as a rule giver. But wait a minute, Ed. Are you saying we can just live however we want and not pay attention to the Word? No, I'm not saying that at all. You just have to understand, and you and you and I, we grasp the reality that in our hands is a love letter from our Father that says, Son, this is good for you. Daughter, this isn't good for you. And we're led by His Spirit. That's what we are. We're led by His Spirit, not by some external code of conduct. We're led by His Spirit. I have the tremendous privilege to pastor this fellowship, to be a part of this fellowship, it's a privilege. I mean, I get to hear story after story after story after story of the wonderful work of God in your lives. It's great. Oh, I know, sometimes I bellyache about the complaints, I know. And I make jokes about them and, you know, the anonymous letters. You guys know, right, I do not read anonymous letters. They get shredded. Because if you don't have the desire to dialogue with me face to face, then I really can't read them. So, in the stories about anonymous letters and things, you might think that that's all I ever hear. It's not. It's not all I ever hear. As a matter of fact, it's a small one-tenth of a tenth of percent of what comes through my email box and across my desk. And just listening. So this week, we lost a dear sister in our church. And the memorial service was yesterday. And before the memorial service, I was talking to some of the family and friends that were there to celebrate the life of our dear sister. It always pains us when we see someone uh, graduate into heaven. I mean, it's good for them. It hurts for us. But listen, this is such a great example of what it's like to be led by the Spirit, to walk in the doors of church, not to do a duty, not to say, well, I've done my church thing. I've read my Bible today. I've done what I had to do. I've been the church man. I've been the church family. Now I can leave and go out. No, 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 no. This dear sister, she paints for us a picture of what it's like to be led by the Spirit. Because way back in the beginning of our church, we're about 50 people, real small, in this small schoolroom right around the block here. And a couple walks in. And the wife doesn't speak English. And so they sit in the back, way in the back, and I notice, I can see from my perspective, that every time I'd say something, the husband would turn over and whisper and talk into his wife's ear. And I'm making the conclusion, you know, um, she probably doesn't know English. And here's a precious husband just wanting to teach his wife because how uncomfortable it must be to walk into a church where you don't know the language. Have you ever thought of that? I mean, how difficult that must be. You know, I've called to this church, I belong here, but I don't know the language. So Lord, how are you going to work that out? And God worked it out wonderfully. Her husband taught her as I taught and translated. But put yourself in the gal's shoes that doesn't know the language. Wouldn't you be afraid a little bit? Wouldn't you be a little bit awkward? 
when you be a little bit uncomfortable? Somebody wants to come up and say hi to you and you, you can say hi, but you really don't understand much more than that because you're just learning how to speak English more clearly and, and you're fr- you just, how frustrating it could have been except that in our fellowship, there's a sister. And by the way, she's not the only one. We are filled with men and women just like you that are led by the Lord that says, you know what? I don't know Spanish myself, but I can love her. And I can walk over and just put my hand around her. I can encourage her. I can make sure she knows that we love her, that we know it's awkward for her. I can use other giftings in my life. I may not know the language, but I can smile. And I can hug. And I can encourage. And if I tell her enough, hey, we're glad you're here, one day she's going to understand exactly what those words mean. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen when you walk in and out and you go, just tell me what to do, Ed. I can't tell you what to do. It's the Spirit of God. Oh, just tell me, what are the lists I need to follow, Ed? I can't tell you. There is no list. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, there's more to Christian life than just going in and out week after week, and, and you know, I've done my Christian duty, and I'm doing everything I think I need to do, and I'm saying, are you hearing from the Lord? Because God will ask you sometime to do something that's beyond your ability to explain it. You know, imagine putting yourself in that sister's shoes and God says, I want you to go over and minister to her. And how she could have easily said, but I don't know the language. That's crazy, God. What could I possibly offer? But instead, there's this simplicity that says, okay, Lord, if that's what you want me to do, that's what I'll do. Because you're my daddy. And I listen to my dad. And I follow him. And I realize that you've put your spirit in my life. And I'm just here to hear from you, Lord. To obey you. To live for you. Jot these down before we go. We're out of time, but I'll take a few more minutes. Our Heavenly Father, our Abba Daddy, is gracious. Exodus chapter 33. I'll make all my goodness pass before you. I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious, the Father says. I'll be gracious. Number two, our father's gentle. He's not harsh. He's gentle. It says in Hosea chapter 11, verse 4, that I drew them with gentle cords, cords of love. Love that about our father. Our heavenly father in James chapter 1 says he gives good gifts because every good and perfect gift is from above, comes down from the father of lights. This language is all over the Bible. Our father is compassionate. Psalm 103, verse 14. Let me read it to you from the New Living Translation. Great translation for devotions. Just a fresh way of looking at it. It says, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him, for he understands how weak we are, that we're just dust. I think we don't understand how weak we are, but our father does. He really does. You know, our Father, He also directs us. Did you know He gives direction? There's much to be said about being led by the Spirit, but do you know one of the directions that God gives us? Well, let me show you. Hebrews chapter 12. He directs us. <laughs> You're like, okay, Lord, okay, Ed, I really want to hear this one. Good. Hebrews chapter 12. He's going to speak to me gently, isn't He? He's going to send a little note into He's going to send me an email, right? No. Listen, some of you are under the chastening of the Lord right now. And God's trying to direct you. Because God, he directs us, which includes discipline. Oh, it's not the kind of discipline that we might give, huh? Like we get, you know, parents, you don't want to discipline your kids in anger. You don't want to chase them around the house with a shoe or anything. Nothing like that. That's not how our God is. 
In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, it says, And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Circle that word chastening. If you ever want to remember what the word chastening means, because we don't use it much, just right next to the word chastening, spanking. That's what it is, spanking. It's so funny. Have you ever been in that place when you were a kid and your dad would put you or your mom would put you over the knee and say, okay, son, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And once your attitude, like, okay, then let's trade places, you know? <laughs> but every parent understands that, though, does, does, don't you? It does hurt to chasten. I mean, if we could avoid it, if our kids would just get it, you know, I'd rather not bring that kind of pain into my kid's life. I'd rather not take things away from them. I'd rather not spank them if I didn't have to. It always is a painful thing for a parent to go through the chastening of their kids. And, and he says to us, listen, I love you so much as a daddy that I'm going to chasten you and I'm going to spank you and I'm going to discipline you so that you and I, we might learn from our Abba Daddy what it is to live that life, to walk in obedience and surrender to him. And so back in Romans chapter 8, I hope that today you leave with this loving picture of Abba Daddy. Even if our mother and father forsake us here on earth, our Father in heaven does not and will not forsake us. And don't allow the enemy of your souls or your own fleshly thoughts to ever undermine the reality that indeed by faith you are a child of God. Yes, we may have had bad experiences and bad examples and the idea of looking backwards in a sense is so difficult for us. And not, Father's saying, don't look backwards, look upwards. Look upwards to the perfect picture of what a father truly is. And as much love and joy as we share with one another, it's only but a glimpse of the true love that the Father's poured out in our hearts. Let that be a motivator to you. Let that be an encouragement to you. Let that melt you. So you don't leave here with a hard heart. You don't leave here continuing to hold on to that grudge and digging in your heels and you're right and everyone else is wrong and your opinion matters and it doesn't matter. You can't reason with anyone. Nobody can tell you anything different because you're firm in your ways and one of the things that set that firmness is hurt and pain and, and so now it's sealed in your heart and the Father's always saying, okay, 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 son. It's time to let go. My son, Jesus Christ, took those pains upon himself. Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And by faith in Jesus Christ, you too can experience the wonderful joy of having a perfect daddy to run to in time of need. He's in the throne room of grace, by the way. And that when you and I run into that throne room, we will find help in our time of need. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com if you'd like a replay, or listen to Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Calvary Aurora and download that today. We've been blessed in recent months by the large volume of people who have called or written to let us know that they listen and how God is doing a great work through the teaching of His Word. We're so thankful to God for this. And if you'd like to share your story, please email us through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We really do want to hear from you. And we also have a book we'd like to get into your hands that can help you become a man or woman that God uses. It was written by the late Pastor Chuck Smith. Pastor Chuck observed 14 characteristics found in many of the people God used in the past that we read about in the Scriptures. The cool thing is, if these characteristics are found in you, well, you'll become a person God uses too. 
Request a copy of The Man God Uses when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. We're here to serve you at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get the word out on stations like this one. As you partner with us, it's thrilling to see how God uses it to bless and encourage so many lives through the radio. Another convenient way to make a donation is online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. With these final thoughts, here's Pastor Ed. You walk in and out and you go, just tell me what to do, Ed. I can't tell you what to do. It's the Spirit of God. Oh, just tell me, what are the lists I need to follow, Ed? I can't tell you. There is no list. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, there's more to Christian life than just going in and out week after week, and, and you know, I've done my Christian duty, and, and I'm doing everything I think I need to do, and I'm saying, are you hearing from the Lord? Because God will ask you sometime to do something that's beyond your ability to explain it. You know, imagine putting yourself in that sister's shoes and God says, I want you to go over and minister to her. And how she could have easily said, but I don't know the language. That's crazy, God. What could I possibly offer? But instead, there's this simplicity that says, okay, Lord, if that's what you want me to do, that's what I'll do. We'll put a bookmark where we left off today in Romans and join us next time for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor as there's so much more to come. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.